up there. How many have had an eye test lately? Okay, I had one this week, and I'm going to stand back here because I'm going to show you how bad my vision is. Um, I was an eye, eye doctor, and I knew my eyes were bad, but they're worse than I thought. You know, they, they have you cover one eye. Now, here I can see, I mean, some of you back here are going to probably think I'm blind, but I can see the, I have to blink for a second. I can see the E and the FP. The next line starts to get fuzzy. I think it's T-O-Z, I don't know. And the next line I have to kind of squint, and I can't. And my, my vision was worse than I thought. And I kept thinking, well, you focus the stupid projector? And this is what I was thinking in the, in the, in the eye doctor office. And I thought, well, is my, are my eyes that bad? And then you know how they, do, they, how they do that little flip switch. Is it better here or here? Is it better here or here? And whenever, you, whenever I think about that, I also think about the antiseptic smell on the eye doctor's hand because his hand's right there. Here or here? And I was like, it's all bad. It's just all bad, right? And the thing is, what frustrated me, what frustrates me is, you know, I had, uh, oh, one, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 years, I had the LASIK surgery done. I thought it was set for life. I'd be like, you know, spotting pennies from 50 yards away. But it might, my, my eyes deteriorated. And they told me that happens. I don't know why it happens or how it happens, but it happens. I'm wondering, go to this next slide. I'm wondering how many of us see Jesus this way. Um, if you see that clearly, something's wrong with you. But anyway... <laughs> But I'm wondering how many of us maybe at one time had a real clear picture of Jesus, a clear understanding of what Scripture teaches about him, and it's gotten fuzzy. Or maybe we never have. Maybe our best vision of Jesus has simply been what we've heard about Jesus or what people tell or what we think Jesus should be. Therefore, you know, he must have said God helps those who help themselves, or things like that. So it's, it's, it's this fuzziness sometimes we have about Jesus, and I'll, and I'll admit that for myself. There's times where I have to remind myself, wait a minute, what, who really was Jesus? What really did he say? So what I'm starting today is a series we're going to call Jesus in Focus. And the whole idea is let's, and I'm encouraging even those of you who have been Christians for years, take a fresh, honest look at Jesus. Not, not what you remember from the past, not what you think, or I think he said this, because every time I read one of the Gospels, there's something new about Jesus I find out. And so I'm asking you to kind of embark on me with the journey over the next few months of a fresh, clearer picture of Jesus. Not simply so we can know it, but because I, we gather here because we say we're followers of Jesus. We're his disciples. So what does that mean? How do we do that? Now, what I'm going to ask you to do, too, and, I, and go to the next slide, I'm going to have some of these cards next week. I'm going to ask everybody here over this month and month of May, whether you're a student, if you're leaving or whatever, to commit to, over the next six weeks, picking one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and just commit to reading it over the next six weeks. You may already have a Bible reading plan. You may not. Some of you may not be in a habit of any kind of regular reading but the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are the four books that are basically four different mini-biographies of the life of Jesus. So I'm just going to encourage you to pick one of those and just dive in. Don't just read it, dive in. Read a chapter a day. I mean, sometimes I've encouraged people to read a chapter a day, then once you get that done, go back and start again. And try to look at Jesus with fresh eyes. Not what you think think he is but look and see what he really says and who he really gives honor to and who he really has arguments with 
and see where you might see yourself in those stories. Because we tend to think, we tend to think whenever we read the Gospels, we tend to always, we always, if we were in the story, we'd always be on the side that was totally, totally agreeing with what Jesus said and totally understood what he meant. But the reality is, even the disciples were clueless sometimes. So I'm going to encourage you, even, even this week, start, pick one of the four Gospels. And just, I'm going I'm to read through that over the next six weeks. Now, what we're also going to do, I'll give you, go to the next slide. I'm going to give you a heads up because the Sunday after Easter, which would be Easter's two weeks in the day, is that right? So Sunday after Easter, which is the 27th of April, we're going to start, we're going to take five weeks to do something that I think will be interesting. I hope it will be interesting. I know it will be interesting because um, each of those five weeks, now you'll notice I have Jesus on here and around that are a variety of different world religion symbols, most of which would not say the same things about Jesus that we say, would not have the same experience of Jesus that we would say we want to have. So in, in, my, in, in, our, in an attempt to kind of refine and get a clearer picture of Jesus, each of those Sundays, I'm gonna, we're going to have somebody come in. I'm going to interview somebody from one of those religions. Um, and the two questions I'm going to ask them is, according to your religion, what's the good life and how do you get there? But the second question I'm going to ask all of them, and I've asked all of them because I've talked to all these people individually, is what do you do with Jesus? All right? So the 27th, have a Mormon bishop coming in. Uh, the 4th of May, uh, Jewish rabbi. The 11th of May, this is not a different religion, but it's a different thing we have to wrestle with. The 11th of May is a Christian who would identify himself, self-identify himself as a gay Christian who is a follower of Jesus. Now, with all these issues, let me stop for a second. This is not any attempt to show that Jesus saves anybody no matter what. This is to refine our thinking and really kind of understand, understanding is Jesus really is who he says he was. But we do have to wrestle with these other world religions. And the following week, um, uh, some, a Muslim leader in the local mosque, and the following week, uh, the head Buddhist monk at the Bo Tibetan Buddhist monastery. And I've asked them all these questions already. What's the good life? How do you get there? What do you think about Jesus? Because everybody has an opinion about Jesus. But I want our opinions about Jesus to be formed by the Bible. So, and I've invited all these people here as conversations, not debates. So if you're expect coming and you want to see somebody get slammed or debated, that's not what I've invited them to invite them to a conversation. Knowing they know we don't affirm all they believe, we know we don't affirm all they believe. But the conversation uh, with the ultimate focus is going to be on Jesus. So I'm looking forward to it. I talked to somebody this week who was one of the Muslim leaders and had a really good conversation. I'm looking forward to that. So that's part of focusing on Jesus. And again, I'm not trying to water down Jesus' other world religions. I believe what Jesus said he believed and what he said about himself. And we're going to talk about that some today. So that's just where we're going. That starts Sunday after Easter. So I'll go back to this question that Jesus is in focus. Who is this guy? What was he all about? What did he say about himself? And do you and I not only believe it, are we willing to kind of live it? Because what we believe is one thing, what we choose to experience really shows what we believe. And I can believe the chair is going to hold me up, but unless I sit down on it, I won't, I'm not really displaying that belief. So what I want to do this morning is just highlight three things I think are key things that Jesus said 
that I, that I want to start our focusing process, all right? And here's, stay on this slide, Keaton, for a second, but here's my first question. What was, what is the gospel? What's the gospel? What is the good news? And I hear often people say, well, we want to get the gospel out to Bloomington. We want to preach the gospel. Is the gospel, according to Jesus, is the gospel, Jesus came and died for your sins, and if you accept that, you go to heaven after you die. Is that what Jesus believed he was coming for? And I'll say the answer to that question is no. That's not the gospel. Part of the gospel, yes. That is not what Jesus said he came for. And somehow we've reduced Christianity to, well, if I get my name into God's computer database, I'm good. I just got to get it in there somehow. And every church has their own way of how you get it in there. You know, you pray a prayer, you do this, you do good works, whatever. And we just assume if we get in God's database, we're good. The gospel, go to this next slide. Here's slide number one in terms of what Jesus said. Jesus talked about this a lot. And this is just one passage in Mark chapter one. This is when Jesus started off his ministry. So this is like his first sermon. And to be honest, it was his only sermon. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, that first line, the kingdom of God is near. Just say that out loud with me. The kingdom of God is near. And you're thinking, okay, what does that mean? <laughs> All right, good question. We tend to think what he's saying is heaven is close by. You trust me, you'll get there. But that's not what the original hearers were hearing because they had a whole different take. The kingdom of God, and in the book of Matthew, it's called the kingdom of heaven because Matthew was written to a Jewish audience that had a different understanding of what terms to use. Every Jewish boy, girl, man, and woman knew what the kingdom of God was. It's that time when all would be right with the world, and you could have the kind of relationship with God you've always dreamed of. You could be the kind of person you've always dreamed of. The kingdom of God was like when everything's going to be right again, when the life I've always wanted is going to be possible. And the average Jewish person had been told their whole life by the religious elite, you can't even get there. It's way out of reach for you. That kind of life, this kingdom of God kind of life is way out of reach. Because you're sinning too much. You're not educated enough. You can't get your life together. So they've been told their whole life, the kingdom of God, you know, this life you've always wanted, it's really, really out of your reach because you're not holy enough. You don't obey all the 500 laws. So you can understand that when Jesus came on the scene and he says, no, the kingdom of God is near. I mean, it's, you can, you can live that kind of life. It's right. It's like if I were to say, you know, uh, you know, the, the hallway is near. It's right over there. And so what these people heard Jesus saying was the kind of life you've always wanted the life of being alive, awake, and free, the life of a conversational, life-giving, powerful friendship with God when relationships in the world becomes, that's possible for everybody, everybody. When Jesus sent out his disciples, he said, go out and preach the kingdom of God is near. Even when he, after he died and they were uh, they gathered around Jesus before his ascension, he said, go and preach the kingdom of God. He didn't say, go and tell people. Now, again, this is true. It's true. Go and tell people I died on the cross for their sins and I resurrected. They just said, trust me, get their name in the God database, and they'll go to heaven after they die. That's not what Jesus was saying. That's a true statement. You, we, you know, we do believe we, those of us 
who are followers of Jesus and give ourselves to live in the kingdom of God now will be with him in, in eternity. But eternal life that Jesus was talking about was not a time of, in the future. It was a quality of life now. Living in the invisible world, in communication with God, with the Holy Spirit, full of life, full of power. People that brought that through them, God would heal others. God would see other people come to Jesus. So the gospel, Jesus, the clear gospel is you can have the life with God you've always wanted. That's the gospel. Now, part of the course is in repenting. When Jesus says repenting, means simply stop living by the values of the world around you. And you live by the values that I'm going to show you. And you follow me and you become my learners and my apprentices. Then you will have that life. That's what he was inviting people to do. All right. So first thing is the gospel is the life you've always wanted is available to everybody. It's accessible to anybody. The kingdom of God is near. Now, second thing. Second thing. And this, this, this will come into play when I interview and when I have interviewed all these other religious leaders. Just briefly before Jesus died, he was talking to his disciples and he was telling them, you know, when I leave, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. I'm going to be with the Father and I'll come back and get you. And the disciples are like, what do you mean when you leave? What, what do you mean? And he says, well, you know, the, you know where I'm going. And Thomas says, Lord... We don't even know what you're talking about. We have no idea where you're, where you're going. Where are you going? And he's, he responded by saying this, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what Jesus is saying then, and this is also affirmed in other scriptures, anybody's knowledge of God, anybody's experiential knowledge of God, anybody's relationship with God in a life-giving kind of way, kind of way only comes through Jesus and his work on the cross and his resurrection. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. In the book of Acts, there is no other name given under heaven how we, by which we can be saved. Now, here's where we have to scratch our heads if we're honest, all right? Let me, uh, you, what's your name? John? Why don't you stand for John? Okay, John's going to represent our uh, token pagan, all right? Saying right in the middle here. All right. So John has grown up in a culture where Jesus is not esteemed, and he may not have even been mentioned. Let's say John's, I was going to say he's a pygmy in Papua New Guinea, but he's a little too tall for that. So, but let's say he's somebody who's never heard the name of Jesus. Or like when I talked to this Buddhist monk, he was brought up in a world where Jesus wasn't esteemed or valued. So is it just a bummer? John, right? Is it just a bummer for John that he wasn't born in a Christian family? Is he just kind of hellbound? What does God do with that? I mean, if John would have been born in uh, Tibet, would he be in a Buddhist temple this morning instead of a church? And how do you do it? How do you do it? What does God do with John the Buddhist or John the pygmy or John the Muslim or John whatever? All right. John's a real good common name, too. So anyway. So here, here, here's, here's how, here I'll, how I'll talk about this. Let's talk about what God's already said about people, all right? And there's six things. So imagine this six-sided hexagon around John. I was trying to get eight, so I had like the world wrestling or the fighting kind of thing, the octagon ring, but we're not going to do that. Just six, all right? Six things that are true that will help us understand how does God think about John. All right, John, you can sit down now because I think I'm embarrassing you. But anyway, so let's say John's right here. He's still right here, you know, whatever. All right, so... First thing, 
Scripture tells us is God is love. His basic component of his personality is love. And he showed that love through Jesus. But we know God is love. So whether this person's ever heard about Jesus or whether they grew up in a culture where Jesus wasn't prominent, we know God loves them. And he's, his nature is love. We also know, Scripture tells us, God is patient. Because uh, 2 Peter 3, we're told that God is patient. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. He's not sitting up there thinking, yeah, they're, they're going to perish. Can't wait. Of course, we don't think God does it, but sometimes we act that way. But he doesn't want anybody to perish. So God's love, God is patient. Now, here's a word, and let me be careful how I use it. God is inclusive. I'm not using it in the same way you may hear it in our culture today. Because in Acts chapter 10, Peter says this, I now realize that God does not show favoritism, but he accepts from every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right. So Peter's saying that because there's just a realization that Gentiles now can know God. He says, you know what, I'm realizing this. God doesn't show favoritism. He accepts anyone who fears him and does what is right. Okay, so God's love, God's patient, God's inclusive. Romans 1 also tells us, this is the fourth side of this little ring here, everyone has an opportunity. Romans 1 says, even if the people don't know about Jesus, when they look at creation, they, will, they, they have no excuse because they can have a sense of the wonder of God, and they can still respond to God. We believe the invisible world's real, right? So is there some way in which the spirit of Jesus can, can connect with somebody? Again, just hear me out for a second here. So everybody, nobody has an excuse. Nobody can say, well, I was born in Mongolia, God. You didn't give me a chance. Nobody has an excuse because the scripture says everyone has opportunity to, to understand God. All right? Two other ones. Scripture also tells us everyone falls short of the glory of God. Everyone. Whether you're born in a Christian home, Buddhist home, Muslim home, or a totally atheist home. Everyone falls short of the glory of God. So God's good. God's patient, wants none to perish. God's inclusive. He'll, he'll, he'll honor anyone who fears him. And does what's right. We know that uh, everybody has opportunity and everybody falls short. We also know what Jesus said is no one knows God except through him. So then how does God deal with John? I don't know exactly. I just know God's going to be consistent with what he's already said. He will come, he will, it will be driven by his love, his patience, his willingness to hear anyone who fears him and does what's right. It will be consistent with the fact that no one can know God. Everybody falls short because we need something. It will be consistent with everybody having an opportunity. But it will be consistent that no one can know God except through Jesus. You might say, well, I don't get that. How does that all work? I don't know. I just trust God will be consistent with what he's already said about himself. And you might say, well, this sounds just like apologetics or art. No, I'm saying this because I want every one of us to be convinced that Jesus is who he says he was and not be sidetracked by the legitimate, legitimate questions of, well, how does God deal with the Buddhist or the Muslim? How does he deal with them? I don't know exactly, but we know that God will be consistent with what he says, including no one knows the Father except through Jesus. But nobody's going to be able to stand before God and say, well, 
you're going to give me a chance, or I was a devout in my own religion. If anyone knows God, it's through what Jesus has done for them. And part of these interviews in the next oncoming weeks, that's why I'm asking them about Jesus. And I'm not, not, it's not going to be a debate. It's not going to be, but we absolutely, positively believe, and I absolutely believe Scripture is very clear on this, no one knows the Father except through Jesus. Don't know exactly how that happens all the time, all right? I think there's one way to God through Jesus. There's many ways to get to Jesus, and Jesus can figure out however he wants to get somebody's attention. I've heard of uh, people in the Middle East, Muslims, having dreams where Jesus shows up in a dream to them. Jesus is quite creative and quite adequate to figure out how he wants to respond to somebody who's responding to the spirit of Jesus. So when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and life, we believe that's true. But it's not like this hard, it's not like this easy thing to figure out where we say, well, we're in and everybody else is out. And, and furthermore, God's never given us the responsibility to figure out who's in and out. That's his job, right? But he's also said it's only through Jesus, only through Jesus. Okay, last, last one of the three things that I think give Jesus in focus. Repeatedly, Jesus said to people, follow me, follow me, follow me. Now, the word following has a little bit of a distorted picture in our culture today based on Twitter. All right, five-question quiz here. Top 100 Twitter followers quiz. How many of you follow somebody on Twitter? Yeah, the rest of you, you do, but you don't really want to admit it. I don't follow anybody on Twitter because I don't even know how to twit. <laughs> All right. Who's the number one with the most Twitter followers? Is it A, Justin Bieber, B, Katy Perry, C, Barack Obama, D, Captain America, or E, Vladimir Putin? Who's, who's the number one? Correct answer, I believe, is B. Justin Bieber is second and Barack Obama is third. Uh, Putin is probably way, way down there. He's not in the top 100. All right, next question. Who has more followers on Twitter? Bill Gates, LeBron James, or Jimmy Fallon? Let me get out my list because I had it all written down. Bill Gates is number 37 in the list. LeBron James, 52. Jimmy Fallon, 53. So Bill Gates has more followers. Again, the operative word here. How many, anybody here follow Jimmy Fallon? I know Dan probably does. You follow Jimmy Fallon? No? Jimmy Kimmel. That's right. Got the wrong Jimmy. All right. Anybody follow LeBron? All right. You're a follower of LeBron James. All right. He said, follow me. You said, I will. All right. All right. Next one. Next one. Who has more followers on Twitter? Dalai Lama, ESPN, or Oprah? All right, I heard, I heard some Oprahs. Oprah is number 16 on the list. Dalai Lama is 93. He's a little bit down there. Um, ESPN is 87. All right. Number four, there's two more. Who is number 33 on the top 100 list? And just follow me on this one. German Shepherd, French Poodle, Pit Bull, or Doberman Pinscher. Now, how many of you, by raise of hand, would say, I don't get what he's trying to do right here? Yeah, you do. You don't. You, who knows the answer? Now, raise your hand if you know the answer, because you're probably under 21. The answer is Pitbull. I mean, I was like, Pitbull? Who's Pitbull? He's a rapper. And Pitbull is two words, so I just made the other one's one word. I thought, that's kind of cool, all right? But Pitbull, I mean, I, of course, I didn't know who it was. And, of course, I asked my 17-year-old son, Mark, do you know who Pitbull is? Well, yeah. It's like, okay. Last question. According to the frequently asked question page on Twitter.com, which of the options below is not what it means to follow someone on Twitter? A, so three of these are correct, one is not correct. A, you are subscribing to their tweets. B, their updates will appear in home tab, in your home tab. C, 
That person can send you direct messages, or D, you are committed to be their devoted, lifelong friend and obedient disciple. All right? So following takes a whole different... When Jesus says, follow me, he's in... Every Jewish person knew at the time when somebody said, follow me, it wasn't just, yeah, I got a new tweet from Jesus today. Or Jesus sent me a message today. Everyone knew when you followed a rabbi, you are committing to be their devoted, lifelong friend and obedient disciple. And here's my question. Go to the last slide here. Are, are you following Jesus? Not Twitter following Jesus. And I think we all would have to admit sometimes we're guilty of being Twitter followers of Jesus. Not literally, but even figuratively. They will take into account things he says... Then we put our phone away and we walk on. Because when Jesus says, uh, pray for those who persecute you, forgive those who've hurt you, give to the poor. When he says, you can't serve both God and money, he says a lot of really pointed, challenging, life-giving things that if we actually live by those things and not just took it as good advice, oh, it's a ni nice little tweet he gave us there. You know, forgive those who've hurt you. Yeah, okay, good. I'm so mad at this person, right? We don't always live it out. Imagine what your life could be like. Imagine what a church could be like, this group of people, if every one of us decided no, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus because I am convinced that he's, he understood like no one else ever has been that walked the earth how to live the good life, how to be a good person, and how to connect with God in an invisible world. No one else, and like Dan had prayed, no one else rose from the dead. Now, granted, these people I bring in, they, don't, they aren't going to agree with that. But if, we, if, you, if you understand and say, well, I do believe Jesus is what he said he is. I do believe the things he said. I do believe in the historicity of the Bible. Well, well then you and I both have a choice. Either all in or all out. I, mean, I, I would challenge you to follow Jesus. If you find a better way to live the life you've always wanted, alive, awake, and free, full of goodness and power and forgiveness if you find a better way than following jesus jesus would be the first person to tell you to take that way so test jesus on that if you find a better way to be the kind of person you've always wanted to be go that way or follow jesus but jesus gives us no room for anybody in between and again i'll admit i live a lot of in between Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Fridays, October, month of October. I live a lot of in-between stuff, but I'm challenging you and I'm challenging me. Will you be a follower of Jesus? And when he says, this is how you think about life. This is how leaders serve. Great people wash feet. That's totally against what the world tells us. You live that kind of life, you're on a whole new journey. And you will find the alive, awake, and free, full of life and power that comes from God. That's what we'll find. So that's my challenge to all of us. And that's why I'm asking you to read one of the Gospels over the next six weeks. 
refresh yourself of what really Jesus was asking us to do and what he said we could do if we were his followers. Because he said, you're going to do greater things than I did. Remember, Jesus' ultimate objective, his objective was world revolution. He wanted to change the world. He didn't just want to get people into heaven after they died. So we have a choice. You have a choice. I have a choice. Am I going to be all in or all out as a follower of Jesus? And that's going to be my ongoing challenge over the next handful of weeks here. So let's pray. God, like I said, we, uh, we do believe that we live in a world that we see and a world that we can't see. And you've designed us to live simultaneously in both those realities. And when we pray, um, thy kingdom come, what we're really asking you is bring the reality of the invisible world, the power of the kingdom of God. Will you bring that into my life here in Bloomington today? So we do ask that, God, that your kingdom come through the average ordinary people that are sitting in these chairs and through my average ordinary life. May we invite your world to come through us so we can be people who offer incredible forgiveness, incredible mercy, power, encouragement, joy, peace. May it come through us, not only to our family, but to our neighbors, to our enemies, to those who've hurt us. May the power of Jesus and God, your love and your mercy, which is what you are, may that come through us because we are followers disciples, learners, and devoted friends of Jesus. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Uh, amen. Hey, we, uh, we finished.